my night runs into morning. It was a Saturday night that held so much promise for so long, and then it kind of got away from Penn State. The Nittany Lions falling to number four Ohio State in a wonderful atmosphere at Beaver Stadium in front of a record crowd, 27-26. to 26. Another fourth quarter lead slips away. Another loss to the Buckeyes. Uh, Penn State had it, but uh, they definitely let it get away. What a Saturday evening and Beaver Stadium. Uh, for so long, it appeared to be everything that Penn State fans hoped it would be. Looked like that Trace McSorley-Heisman moment was there for the taking. The defensive step up that everyone was anticipating may not come. And then all of a sudden, eight minutes to go, flips the, flip the switch, and we did not get the result that for a while there looked, uh, looked almost inevitable. He is Tyler Donahue. I'm Sean Fitz. This is the Lions 24-7 podcast, bi-week edition. Just going to come at you once this week because of the situation. Uh, you know, Penn State has no uh, press conference on Tuesday, a little bit of a practice access on Wednesday, and then, of course, no game on Saturday, so no game to preview at the end of the week. Tyler and his wife heading out of town, my family as well. So we will be back at you next week. Um, but, yeah, getting back into the game, just a really tough one to swallow. That's now four losses by Eight total points for James Franklin in the last two years. Uh, fourth quarter leads in all of them, and it just kind of slipped away. You saw it last uh, on Saturday night. You were about to pack your stuff up, head down to the field, so it's possible it's your fault. Um, but uh, it's it, it was just an unfortunate situation. Ohio State's players made plays. Penn State uh, did not execute down the stretch, as we've seen so many times. Is, is, is it a reason to panic? Is it a reason to be concerned that this is how this, this story keeps on going? Before I become a, a scapegoat here, uh, I was encouraged to pack my bag and head down with you and follow you down to catch the alma mater and all that stuff. So everybody was really, you know, before that Benjamin Victor catch, anticipating that Penn State was going to put this one away. And, you know, the difference is, Sean, between those other three games where it was so close against ranked opponents, this one was on home turf. Uh, this one was in front of a record crowd that showed up and brought the kind of energy that James Franklin asked for. Um, and I think ultimately for a lot of people, the way this one ended for as painful as it was at Ohio State last year, losing that as painful as the end of the Rose Bowl was with that defensive collapse. And certainly the Michigan State game was just a bizarre situation and a really tough second straight loss. This one, I have to imagine, stung for so many people because of how it ended, that taste that was left in your mouth, mouth as you watched Trace McSorley watch himself. Uh, hand the ball off to Miles Sanders and, and step away and see Sanders get buried. Yeah, just shy of 111,000 people, that, that, the record that we mentioned for Beaver Stadium. I mean, but before we get into the game, I mean, the, the atmosphere was something. And I, th- I do think it swung the momentum for Penn State. I, I also think Penn State, you know, w- was the better team. They let it get away. They, they should have won that game. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But uh, there's still there's so much that you can build off from that game. Uh, everyone's going to remember the end. Everyone's going to harp on the fourth and five and everything like that. But I think there's a lot of positives that come through with it. Uh, we're going to get to the negatives. Don't worry. I know a lot of you are listening just for the negatives, and that's how college football is. But uh, a lot of positives, and and I think it before we get into it, it starts with Trace McSorley. I mean, this guy is is something. Uh, he is he is you know what? He's the Lions twenty four seven Big Ten offensive player of the week. I know he didn't get it through uh, through the Big. 10 conference Dwayne Haskins got it for for some reason um but no I mean this guy the uh, I just liken him you know this is a, a a reference that some of you get and if you get it great if you don't you probably you know it's it's out there Randy Marsh with the um on South Park with the wheelbarrow walking down the street that's Trace McSorley I mean this guy no fear um showed everything that you wanted to show from him and Penn State rode him as long as they could I think it was kind of the opposite of Ohio State I mean you had Dwayne Haskins on one hand using his playmakers to do everything around him and 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 it worked and the other side it was Trace McSorley carrying everything when you see a quarterback of that stature playing that angry uh and quite frankly just looking pissed off to win that game the way he was finishing his runs through other people's shoulder pads. We're talking about Ohio State, which has some of the more impressive defensive players in the country. They were having issues with McSorley, not just reaching him, but bringing him down. That's how he tried to will this team. We all saw it take place. Um, you know, It's no surprise that Trace McSorley is the catalyst here. Everyone calls him the captain of this ship. Uh, we've seen him bring this team back from from dire straits, and and ultimately, you know, he made that pass to Fryermuth on the final play of that of that last possession. That was another dart 
um, and, and setting up the, the eventual fourth and five where a lot of folks, and, and I know we're going to talk about that, where it doesn't go to him. It just felt like, Sean, on this night of all Saturday nights in this situation, this setting, Trace McSorley's final crack at the Ohio State Buckeyes in a Nittany Lions uniform. He's got to be the guy who has the ball in his hands, come win or loss yeah. at the end of that game. Yeah, and he's going to finish his career one and two against the Buckeyes, assuming they don't, you know, meet up in the playoff later in the in the season. But ah, oh, man, that, you, you got to hurt for him, and you saw it in the post game. This is a guy, you know, he really put everything into it, and, and it's really unfortunate. I'm, we talked after the App State game when he led Penn State down the field to tie the game to send it into overtime that you. you you knew Trace McSorley had that in them. You just didn't want to rely on it because it's not always going to happen. And I think for the first time in a long time, we saw that not happen. James Franklin, after the game, uh, defiant. Uh, matter of fact, I guess you would call it. Um, he was not happy. We can say that. Um, to, took, took the blame on himself, to his credit, and then went off into uh, a little tangent about the where the program is. And he was very blunt to some players, some assistant coaches. Um, it's just... Uh, it was a uh, fascinating to watch because you know where Penn State is. You know where Penn State wants to be. Ohio State's the measuring stick. There's no question about it. But you know he was right on the nose in terms of of, of what he expects out of this team, and they did not get it from from basically everywhere. And it was the indication, and you don't get many from James Franklin. It was the indication that yes, this game mattered more than one to know this week, and we know that's often the case. But you could see the emotions after that. Um, and Franklin really taking it upon himself to put him on the he put himself on the line. Quite frankly, he he said he gave his word that he was going to take this program from great to elite. I mean, he talked about the journey they've they've gone from going from average, you know, two seven and six seasons uh, to good, you know, turning that corner twenty sixteen to great, you know, continuing success last year into this season, and now he wants that elite level. And and you know, wrote about this on Sunday. Who is truly at an elite level right now in college football? You got to put Alabama in there. Uh, you know, I guess Ohio State's certainly still there. Uh, you know, they, they got pummeled a couple times in, in big situations, but they're in that elite status. Clemson, maybe Georgia, Oklahoma, knocking on the door, perhaps. But it is a very exclusive uh, group. And, and as Florida State shows, Southern Cal shows, Texas shows, Auburn, it is very tough to stay among that group. So James Franklin putting out, putting it all out there for everyone to see the recruits, the players in the locker room, the coaches in that building. Us in front of him, you know, trying to figure out what we're going to write about. This is not good enough for him. And, and a one-point loss to Ohio State, they want to win that game. And, and he's making it seem like they want to be a team that has unbeaten expectations pretty much every year. Well, and right now, judging from the reaction that we've seen, uh, you know, on our site at Lions 24-7, on Twitter and everything, that that expectation is certainly there with the fan base. Uh, you know, it, you're not calling for James Franklin to be fired or anything like that. But, you know, he's got some learning to do in, in big situations, and I think he would admit that. But, um, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the recruits. I mean, it, it, to me, um, judging from, wh- from where I was sitting, it, thinly veiled recruiting pitches is the, is the way I would go with it. I mean, I don't know if it was saying, hey – we need you guys to make this jump from great to elite or, hey, this is what is expected at our program. But he looked up, to, up top a couple times to the uh, recruiting lounge, and I thought it was, it was fairly clear that he was not only uh, sort of harping on the game and reminiscing about what went wrong and what could have gone better and, and the preparation leading up to it, mentioned guys not going to class and things like that. But, you know, he was, he was stumping for the future. And I know you, you talked to a few parents and talked to a couple of kids about that speech, and it seemed to be well-received. It was definitely well received uh, in the conversations I've had speaking with a few parents uh, of Penn State commits an uncommitted prospect who was on campus, one of their top targets. We'll have something on the site for this, by the way, by Wednesday. Um, but th- this is really something that they think uh, James Franklin is sincere about. I know to a lot of people it may have come off um, as just coach speak or a guy trying to make excuses perhaps after a really tough loss. But to them, it actually follows suit with everything they've seen from James Franklin so far. I can't tell you how often I hear from recruits, from their parents. Sean, you probably do too. James Franklin does not shy away from talking about the ambition to win national championships and doing what it takes to get to that point. Um, it seemed like he maybe upped the ante a little bit in terms of expectations, which is pretty intense, uh, you know, especially coming off a loss uh, like that. But I think it was well-received. And, and even the recruits, you know, it's, whether it's Brian Zone doing the reporting or you – or me speaking with people, Steve Wolfong, uh, repeatedly it's, it, it's been well-received. And I think, you know, maybe people are surprised by that. Um, but I don't know. I don't think they should be because 
James Franklin kind of carries that confidence in every single com- competition and every single conversation that he has as the Penn State coach. Yeah, and, and I, I don't think I can stress this enough. I mean, these recruits and parents are looking at it completely differently than fans. I mean, fans may see that as an excuse, and, it, and part of it, you know, is partially true. I mean, it, it was the way that he reacted to that, sort of dodging the, the fourth and five call to get into his bigger picture, and I'm wondering how long that's that's been saved up. But, yeah, uh, recruits will deal that deal with that differently probably a little bit more simplistically and a little bit more um looking to the future than than i think fans will will um approach the subject so i think that's that's definitely a different way to look at it from there um very blunt as i said earlier a couple things that stood out to me um sort of lighting up some players for missing coat or excuse me for missing classes uh, maybe putting his assistants on blast for making excuses for players. We didn't see a couple of guys the other night. John Holland didn't play. Ellis Brooks, who we've seen a bunch of. John Sutherland had been getting reps. So, I mean, not speculating Not speculating. those are the guys that missed the class. But, you know, it's obviously that the, those guys were not a presence on the field when, when we, we expected them to be. Beyond that, um, the, I think there were some different – uh, themes in Franklin's speech. I uh, was talking about the players and the coaches and everything. And then he then he kind of got off and uh, on a tangent and went with the facilities, the administration, everybody. We know he's not happy with the facilities. I mean, we know that's something that he's been you know barking up that tree for for a couple of years now. So I mean, he's to me sent a shot across the bow of the administration, uh, the level of commitment to the administration, and uh, you know, I think that uh, we'll we'll see how that is heard, but. Great to elite is really what he um, really what he wanted to st- stress where they're at right now, where they want to be. And yes, he believes Ohio State's elite. I've said it a bunch of times. Ohio State's the measuring stick. I believe they're elite. Just wondering what the difference is between those two programs right now. I have a hard time. I think you kind of alluded to this early in your statement there, Sean. But I have a hard time believing that James Franklin hasn't thought of this average to good to great to elite mantra for some time now, he's had that in his back pocket. Yeah, it didn't hit him magic. in the locker room the other night. Right. Yeah. Obviously, those those emotions were, were tremendously organic. I'm not saying anything like that was constructed, but this was a, uh, a something that had been on his mind internally, perhaps within that building for some time. And it felt like for him to let loose, and, and it almost felt like he stepped in front of a mirror and he said, "No, you're all you're all in here with me too. We're all looking in the mirror. That's administration. That's my staff. That's a recruiting department." That's our players. Uh, you all getting here in front of me. We're having a long look. And then what I thought was really important to see afterward, Trace McSorley coming in and very much in his own way echoing almost every sentiment that Franklin expressed. Can't say enough how important it is for the players to be on boards, especially your leaders, after a coach delivers that kind of emphatic statement and doubles down on it and triples down on it. Trace McSorley, as frustrated and angry that I've seen him from facial expressions and just the look in his eyes, really kind of followed suit and saying everyone needs to get on their accountability. And if they think they're doing enough, they probably are not. Yeah, and that's been something that's been pounded into their heads the last couple of years. We saw the first two seasons that James Franklin was here. Pretty split locker room. I mean, you've got you know, O'Brien's guys. You still had some Paterno guys around as well. And then Franklin guys coming in. Um, I think, you know, the, the the talent level, as you saw, sort of was flushed with those Franklin guys. And we saw a bunch that are already in the NFL that came in in his first class. But, I mean, it's just been it, – it, it's sort of been fascinating to watch where they're at. And, you know, Penn State's players – aren't particularly good at going outside the box in media interviews and everything. But I think you can read some of that stuff and you can see a lot of the reflection in the, in the coach in the assistant coaches and what they have to say. Absolutely. And, and got a chance to, you know, check in with all these guys and uh, you know, they're up front, a lot of, a lot of ownership out there. Um, you know, you know, it, I think it was Garrett Taylor really talking about the issues they had with tackling um, and really just saying that they do need to step up uh, in a lot of ways as a football program. But again, I think it's important. Everybody was so caught up in the moment there Saturday night, James Franklin included. And, and you know, when you zoom out a little bit, it's a one-point loss to Ohio State. It hurts. This is the number four team in the country, now the number three team in the country. There's a long way to go. When Penn State beat Ohio State in 2016, Sean, a year they would go on to win the Big Ten Championship, that was about a month later into the season, and they were ranked 24th in the country after that game with two losses. We, they end up winning the Big Ten Championship. So it's important to remember – 
the bye week's going to end, and there's going to be seven more Big Ten games ahead of you. Yeah, and this is a fan base that uh, you know was celebrating a pinstripe bowl victory with an extra point a couple of years ago, and now all of a sudden things are, are changing with one loss. You're talking about calling for the, the head of the coach or the assistant coach and everything. This college football is crazy, man. Uh, getting back to the or getting to the game, actually, I don't think we've actually talked about the game. <laughs> uh, real quick, game balls. I don't think Penn State gives out game balls, um, especially with the bye. There's no press conference, but obviously Trace McSorley, number one. I don't think there's any argument there, so we're not even going to uh, discuss that. Uh, on defense, there's a couple guys that stepped up. You know, we mentioned the defense really came around. And I think they played well enough to win for three, three and a half quarters and, and sort of fell apart at the end. But Sharif Miller, I think, is having a really good year. I mean, I, I know uh, that the stat line, there's been, uh, you know, questions about pass rush and the stat line and everything. But given how much he has had to play and how much has he had, excuse me, how much he's been leaned upon to make big plays. Uh, you know, he was all over the place on Saturday night. He had a good game. Cam Brown, Jekyll and Hyde, man. I mean, he's, uh, I think, finished with eight tackles, um, you know, was was around the ball a good bit, had a couple of pass breakups as well. So, you know, he's been so bad at sometimes. I mean, I don't think there's any way to, to sugarcoat that. Uh, but he, he played a good game on, on Saturday night, deserves a hat tip. Garrett Taylor had the pick. Rob Windsor held up uh, inside pretty well. But, you know, at the end of the day, this is a defense that, you know, had the lead, let it get away. So I'm going to go with Miller. I don't know if you have any other thoughts on anybody else. Uh, I I would like – I think someone who deserves mention, probably Kevin Givens. He had a couple nice plays in the backfield. Um, I thought it was probably the best game that him and Robert Windsor played in tandem together at the same time. Um, through five games and um, actually we're recording this on Tuesday afternoon uh, just about two hours ago we heard from James Franklin for the first time since that post-game press conference during the Big Ten teleconference with the head coaches Uh, again not going to have a lot of access during the bye week here Um, and he went to that defense he talked about how they played such a a trimmed down version of what they have from a personnel standpoint through the first four weeks you mentioned those guys that didn't play a lot of other guys played scaled back reps Um, and he said First three quarters, the plan was working. They liked what they had in place. He said it, though, ran out of gas. He said he just – that's the way he phrased it. That's not the way I'm phrasing it. He said that group, uh, they pushed him to the point where they ran out of gas. And this was the question the whole way through, Sean. He circled the date, uh, September 29th. Would the defense be ready to pitch a complete game when it mattered most? And they pitched you know, 80% of one and just could not come up with the stops when it mattered the very most. Yeah, and I think a lot of that starts up front. We talk about the differences between Ohio State and behind Penn State. Yeah, I think it starts on the defensive line. I mean, Chase Young had a, a phenomenal game for Ohio State. Um, a couple other guys up front, uh, you know, really controlled the line of scrimmage. Penn State doesn't have that. I mentioned Sharif Miller is your player of the game. Sharif Miller is a far cry from Chase Young, and when you're talking about being a potential playoff team, that's a, that's a big difference right there. So, um, yeah, I, I think it starts up front. I, you know, the linebackers probably played as well as they've played this year. The bar was not very high, but still they made some plays and, and closed and did some, some good things. The secondary tackling, and you mentioned Garrett Taylor had talked about this after the game. That's, that's really, I mean, you know, I don't want to label it as unacceptable, but, you know, it pretty much is. Well, it's, it's what ultimately causes you to unravel when the back end of your defense isn't cleaning up mistakes. We've, we've heard Franklin call that, you know, the eraser they're looking for. Uh, look, the Benjamin Victor touchdown play is a pivotal example of this. He catches the ball, uh, kind of creates a sudden change because of, of where his, how his body's contorting Phenomenal and, and where he is yeah. in the football field. And all of a sudden, you've got the guys in, in four angles. You know, Micah Parsons gets a shot, but he doesn't have a real angle there. And it's a touchdown, and the game's completely turned on its head. Uh, and we saw it. When guys got in the space for Ohio State, this was the game. Dwayne Haskins, you break down those stats on screen passes versus everything he tried to accomplish downfield. I think you'd take that as a Penn State uh, defensive unit if you're able to contain and corral some of those things. And we talked about it heading into the game. Ohio State's on a different athletic level than any team they will face in the regular season, and that goes for their playmakers. K.J. Hill, uh, you know, these guys, I mean, you can name them. J.K. Dobbins, K.J. Hill. And, of course, the wider, Paris Campbell is the guy I needed to get in there. Those guys all have the ability when they get the ball in space to burn you. It happened too many times, too often. One or two of those plays were able to contain, make the tackle, uh, and I just don't see Ohio State rallying there. 
They can bust it at any point. And we talked about it last week on the podcast. You couldn't get comfortable with a lead against either team in this situation. And Ohio State obviously played from behind. And, you know, to think to, to think that they chipped away from behind with basically screen passes and bubbles, tunnel, tunnel screens and things like that. I mean, it's, it's just uh, it's, it's crazy to think about. Really, you know, Penn State's defense really spread thin across that back seven. And, and, and some of that inexperience showed up at some spots. So, um, you know, I just it, it kind of sucks to, to, to think about how well they played. I mean, they were all over the place in the first half. And, and Penn State really kind of shot themselves in the foot by taking field goals, by, you know, g- getting themselves in situations where they could not capitalize. And it's just, uh, you know, there, there's so many what-ifs and what-might-have-beens from this game. And I think Penn State fans are, are going to really drill that into their head for the next couple of years. And I thought when it was, you know, 26 uh, to, to 20 there, um, that- Penn State opts to punt the ball. They're, they're in Ohio State territory. You can go for it on fourth down. You're not going to go for a long field goal at Jake Vinegar. Uh, but they opt to punt the ball. Blake Gillikin drops it right inside the five perfectly as you'd ask them to do. And that was the ultimate moment where you said, hey, we trust you, defense. Go out and prove it. Go show everybody wrong. Make this stop. And, of course, what's ha- what happens? Screenplay burns them deep. The, 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 the advantage on the football field in terms of uh, where they are, completely wasted on Blake Gillikin's punt. And, and you know, that is the is the frustrating part because there were moments to close this thing out. Uh, very much like last year in Columbus, you start to go, well, what if they had made this play? What if he had made that play? Uh, it's a different game. You win the game. Maybe you're in the playoff. And, you know, this is one that's going to haunt you a little bit, you know, not just this year, but for the you know these players, the seniors, they're not going to shake this one when they think about their Penn State careers. Yeah, the chain of events in the fourth quarter just sent it, sort of piled up on top of each other, and you, you, then you really thought that with that Gillikin punt, which is a phenomenal punt, um, that 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 they had found the place they were going to pin them deep, um, maybe get a hold in the end zone or something, or and it just just kind of blew up in their faces, and and that's one of those execution plays where he did not account for those uh, guys. Um, I mean, I, I don't have an answer for that one. And they march right down the field. Their players made plays. And I think if you look at the Ohio State wide receivers against the Penn State wide receivers, when K.J. Hamler went out, I mean, that was a completely one-sided affair. K.J. Hamler, and we've talked about this since game one, He's he feels like the catalyst of this receiver group. He feels like the veteran of this receiver group. And he's played one month of college football. I mean, what a play he made going 93 yards. I don't know how many guys in this entire college football a landscape are capable of making that kind of play against the athletes that Ohio State has in that secondary. Uh, what if you have him back there for that kick return on the final drive? Maybe that helps you out. Uh, certainly gives you a better shot to do it. So, yeah, having him out of the game, the catches he made, the plays he made, the toughness he showed, um, he is just a huge, huge dynamic here. And when you don't have a guy like Miles Sanders you know, getting it going against the Ohio State defense, we didn't see Ricky Slate on the football field at all. So all of a sudden, the guys who are capable of doing what we talked about the Ohio State players doing, you know, taking a, a five-yard pass and going 60 yards with it, there's a limited number of those guys all of a sudden on the field for you. Yeah, Hamler knocked out of the game. We assume to be a concussion. Of course, no update from Penn State, so hopefully he'll be back because, you know, really, he's a redshirt freshman. He's your go-to. Juwan Johnson made a really, really nice catch the other night, probably one of the best catches I've ever seen, but at the same time still had a couple drops. Brandon Polk, another veteran, had to drop. You, you're just you're not getting those plays from your veterans, and, and that's going to catch up when you play a team as talented, as deep, and, as, and, and with as many weapons as Ohio State. Sean, let me ask you this. Trace McSorley has this career night. Among his past targets, who were the two most reliable? Who were the two guys that you trusted the most uh, in the biggest game of the season? I probably, uh, if you're asking me who I would trust, I mean, you, you, you want to go with the veterans, but Hamler and Pat Fryermuth were the two that I That's think you returned to the most. That, yeah. that, on, this, on this specific night, it was Fryermuth, who we went to on the first play of that final drive for a completion, and it was Hamler. Yeah. Two first-year guys. Yep. I mean, that's uh, that, that says good things about the future, but does not say that you're going to win against Ohio State in 2018. Uh, last one, Raf Cheka is my special teams player of the week. Six of six on touchbacks. The punting, uh, the punt return game, not as big of a factor as we expected, just because Drew Chrisman basically won the punter Heisman or whatever you want to call it the other night. He was he was. Absolutely incredible. Blake Gillikin was not, but uh, Raf Checker, we're talking about him. Six for six on touchbacks, which, you know, obviously, you know, when you've got playmakers like Ohio State has, if you can keep the ball out of their hands on kickoffs, that's a good thing. So, uh, really good work by the true freshman walk on. 
Yep, I'm with you on Cheka. He's been pretty consistent with this, been able to drive the ball deep on kickoffs, and that's huge when Ohio State puts out the athletic kick returners who can do damage. And, yeah, Blake Gillikin, you know, surprising to not see him at his best because he's been at his best so consistently. But, again, uh, the most important part of the night, he he was pretty special. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, watching the – just sort of the what might have been game. Dan Chesina coming off the end or coming off the edge very early in the game uh, got very, very close to blocking a punt. So, uh, you know, what might have been there? Moving on, uh, we're going to talk about the fourth down call. I mean, the fourth and five obviously is the, the one that everyone is talking about, the one that everyone wants to know what the hell James Franklin and Ricky Ronnie were thinking. And we think the same thing. I mean, this is, this is something, you know, we obviously don't have the X's and O's and we don't have the, the knowledge that these guys have. And, and before I get into this, I want to preface this several times with I, I, I'm not a, not a fan of the call, not a fan of the call, not a fan of the call, but I got it. I get it. I looked at the alignment. I mean, you, you see what's out there, and they that is what they gave to you. Now, again, don't like just the, the run call. This was not an RPO. They said after the game this was, a, this was going to be either a handoff or a keeper for Trace, and um, it did not turn out well. Uh, Chase Young made an incredible play on his stunt, got away from Will Fries. Penn State's offensive line sort of fell apart from there and, and really just kind of – just uh, there's a truck into a wall right there, but I get it. I understand they had some success running on late downs, um, probably a little bit far for down and distance for fourth and five. But I get why they made the call. Uh, the execution certainly was not there. It just felt like to me the ultimate ignoring of the intangibles that are involved in the game of football, and that to me was Trace McSorley on this night and what you've seen from him in the past. Uh, you know, I, I look, you see the personnel, you see the alignment, you know what you're anticipating. It's worked in the past. I get it. Um, but I just don't know how you can possibly not after three timeouts, you're bouncing this all around. How does the final sentence not say, you know, what, and, and two, timeouts, gotta, two timeouts that you didn't need to take. Yeah. I mean, after all that time to think about it and I get it, maybe you have this great idea. Um, I'm just surprised that Franklin, Someone doesn't weigh in and say, no, look, we got to go to Trace. We have to find a way to give Trace a chance here. And, and I went through the last two games, and by then you had it, almost a complete two-game sample size against this Ohio State team. Um, Tra- Saquon Barkley was the only running back to touch the ball last year. Miles Sanders was the only running back to touch the ball in the game this year. Those two, before that play, had touched the ball 36 times on rush attempts. Of those rush attempts, seven went for five yards or more. That's 19% of rush plays in two games against Ohio State that gained five yards. You needed to gain five yards. I'm not rolling the dice and taking the ball out of Trace McSorley's hands for a 19% chance there. Yeah, and I'm just wondering, you know, how how is it a different play call if, if KJ Hamler's out there? Um, you know, they, they went to the the drag routes several times to Juwan Johnson. I think they've done it to Brandon Polk as well, and they haven't had success. That's been sort of their go-to in you know third and have to convert fourth and whatever. Um, but it, it hasn't worked. Those guys have dropped that those balls, and I'm not sure that they have the trust in those guys to to make it happen so without Hamler out there um, decided to keep it in uh, in where it goes uh, again alignment was there the read was there uh, Ohio State executed Penn State did not I just think you know end of the how many times we've we seen it in, in professional sports college sports the the crux of the game the big moment uh, you know this great player has the ball and either succeeds or he doesn't and he's either getting that post-game interview or you show him on his knees and he's just, you know, he's crushed because he didn't get it. To me, I think Trace McSorley got a, got robbed of that opportunity to either make it happen or to deal with the repercussions. He's just so valuable the way he can create. I mean, that is the innate thing about Trace McSorley that I think separates him from other quarterbacks that I've seen, from other quarterbacks on this Penn State roster that we're going to learn about in the coming years, his ability to create and and that is the perfect circumstance to trust the guy who can do that. Yeah, I think, you know, you get too cute. You outthink yourself sometimes with those two timeouts. Plenty of time to, to sort of play chess against Greg Schiano. And Ricky Ronnie uh, talked to the AP this week and admitted that, you know, he got beat. Yeah, and, and you know what? Ricky Ronnie has owned up to it. One of the first things James Franklin said when he came into the press conference was they called the wrong play. They're not trying to, to be on the defensive here and say that everyone who watched the game from their TV screens or from their seat in Beaver Stadium, doesn't know football and doesn't know what they're talking about. They've owned up to this. 
Uh, and I think that's probably the best thing they could do, especially in a bye week, because what, you know, we, what are there to ask as a media member now? If you're asking about this play, they've already addressed it and said we called the wrong play. So I think they've done pretty good damage control, and I think obviously that's going to help with their self-evaluation. And you certainly have to wonder, moving ahead in close situations, whether it's Michigan State or down the road in another Big Ten game, uh, if there's a big play under two minutes to go, Penn State's tied or, or trailing, and they need an offensive conversion on fourth down, is Ricky Ronnie getting the complete trust to make that call? Is James Franklin having more input? I'm curious on what that dynamic now looks like. Yeah, and that's one I that's a huddle I'd like to stay out of. But uh, uh, you know, this is the fourth and five is going to be the one that everyone's talking about, and it's been the one that everyone has talked about all week. Um, but there was a lot of plays that decided this game. Of course, uh, you know when you have that lead, eight minutes to go. Benjamin Victor goes up, just makes a tremendous play. I mean, that that individual effort was as good as we saw on Friday night. Um, you know, you go back, you've got the fourth and one where the, the pass was broken up. Another great individual effort by Chase Young. And by the way, I love that call to Fryermuth. I mean, I thought that was a, a great call at that point. Uh, you know, if he catches that ball, he gets the first down easily and c- continues uh, probably for a while there. Um, and then we mentioned earlier the screen pass out of the end zone. This is the, you got him backed up to the student section. Got to make a play there. Obviously, got to account for all that they've been doing was 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 throwing screen passes. That's all you have to account for. Not all you have to account for, but that's that's the main thing that you have to account for. It didn't really work. Um, and then you got some underlying themes. I mean, you got the lack of execution up front. Ohio State's defensive line. We mentioned it before. Is the difference between Penn State and Ohio State right now? I mean, that the they got a pass rush. They got to McSorley at times. McSorley was able to, to to pull his wizardry and get out of there at, at other times. But still, I mean, Chase Young was phenomenal. Draymond Jones is, is, is one of the best players in the Big Ten. And Penn State's offensive line, while improved, uh, you know, they weren't there for the entire game. A perfect spot, I think, to look at the this little separation that James Franklin is talking about between great and elite is probably that defensive line. Uh, Nick Bosa being out, how many teams would that cripple and send them into a tailspin defensively? Didn't happen for this team. Uh, the Buckeyes are able to rely on Chase Young. Though I think I had uh, somewhere in the top 10, 20, I'm sure 24-7 sports did coming out of high school. I know he was a five-star. That's the ability when you recruit consistently class after class after class, then you can go to that well and pluck another guy. That next man up mentality now doesn't sound so scrappy. It sounds a little bit more confident because the next man up is a former five-star recruit who is an athletically gifted beast, a future first-round NFL pick if things come together. And that's what Chase Young showed off in that role. Meanwhile, Penn State's defensive front, we saw a guy who was listed as an offensive guard on the depth chart playing in the most important defensive series of the game. Yeah, and Antonio Shelton was was tossed for, I guess, a targeting or something. He kind of got shoved to the side. I mean, nobody really noticed it happened until he was going to the locker room. Um, but yeah, C.J. Thorpe, of course, playing some defensive tackle there in the last drive. I mean, I think they were just gassed at that point. Um, he had answered on the field as well. Ellison Jordan is hurt, of course. Um, and, and while Windsor and Gibbons played really well together the other night, they can't do it for, for all four quarters. So they think I think that's the difference. You got Nick Bosa going down in Ohio State. You're replacing with a five star. You've got uh, you know two tired defensive tackles who you know weren't five star guys being replaced by an offensive lineman. So there's there's your difference right there between those two programs. Of course, Ohio State's playmakers stepped up. Penn State's did not, um, and it's a it's been sort of an underlying theme with these wide receivers. Hamler was phenomenal, but beyond that, just a rampant inconsistency. Yeah, and, and it's just, you know, you're waiting to see that, you know, game after game after game, knowing what to expect. And, you know, Brandon Polk started out the season so well. No, not so much in Ohio State game. Uh, DeAndre Tompkins, another game where, where he's not a major factor. Jawan Johnson, some outstanding plays and, and some plays where if he does make the catch, we're probably having a different conversation, not just about him but about this Penn State football team this week. And, uh, yeah, again, I'm going to go back to it. The two guys, when, when I'm looking at that final drive and saying, who does Trace McSorley feel comfortable going to? I think, obviously, he feels very comfortable handing that ball off to Miles Sanders. A lot of trust there. But when he looks downfield, I really got the feeling that Fryermuth, K.J. Hamler, you take Hamler off the field, Fryermuth, that's asking a lot of him to shoulder that load. And, and he can't get away with not playing uh, premier football as a receiver against this Ohio State secondary, even though they got uh, one of their key players, Isaiah Pryor, ejected during the course of the game on the Hamler hit. 
uh, yeah, just uh, wasn't the step up. But again, we'll never know because maybe someone could have stepped up on the fourth down play again that I'm going to go back to if Trace McSorley was given an opportunity to handle that football, create, and find someone downfield. Maybe that would have been a big moment for a guy like Jawan Johnson or Brandon Polk or whoever else they're going to put on the field at receiver to, to give him an opportunity there. Um, so again, just another equation of a play that I think we're going to just be referring to as probably fourth and five for a long time. Not even going to have to talk about what game it was. People will know what game it was in. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, some, some positive. I think Pat Fryer is turning into a star. I mean, this kid is is really, really good. We mentioned earlier John Holland did not play. Nick Bowers, I think, played – 15 snaps or any, there's something like that. Penn State ready to lean on Pat Fryermuth, and it looks like he's up to the challenge. Pat Fryermuth looks clearly like the starting tight end. He looks clearly like one of the top targets for, for Trace McSorley. He looks like a guy who doesn't need to come off the field very often because of his abilities as a run blocker. Um, and, and what a huge developmental process uh, for Pat Fryermuth very quickly. Uh, we talked about before, Sean, uh, that the tight ends weren't really doing a lot of great stuff, but they weren't really doing a lot of bad stuff. They were kind of there, and was that good enough? And maybe it was. Now it's, uh, it's starting to become a plus position on this roster because of the way that Pat Fryermuth is playing. I think that gives them an advantage heading into the rest of their Big Ten play. And, uh, you, know, you know, kudos to him because we've heard it from everybody that he has put in the work since he showed up to campus in May. Yeah, absolutely. Um, on the negative side, we already talked about this a little bit, but the punting game, the, the difference in the punting game was the, was the difference in the special teams. I mean, the, the, that that's all it was. Drew Chrisman was incredible. I mean, he put the ball exactly where he needed to when he didn't need to boot it 60 yards, and when he needed to boot it 60 yards, he did. Blake Gillikin uh, started slow. He had a, a couple nice ones, but at the uh, at the end of the day, I mean, he, he wasn't the difference maker that we've known or grown to know him to be so i think that was a, a huge probably overlooked aspect um the last thing to want to get to uh tommy stevens i mean penn state saved him up for this game uh used the lion package against this uh thing i got a fire hot take coming for you i didn't mind it i mean it it didn't work i get it it didn't work execution once again going back to it throwing that pass to tommy uh behind the line of scrimmage was going to be a touchdown i don't really have any doubt about it. I mean, we were sitting up in the box and they threw that to him and you knew it was a pass judging from where we were standing. But we saw Tompkins coming wide open. That was going to be a touchdown. It didn't work. I don't have a problem with them pulling that back out. I think it's a decoy. I think it was setting up for something else and that touch or that would be touchdown was what they were setting up for. So you take a couple negative games, you take a couple of, uh, of, of different scenarios there and you turn it into points later. It just didn't work out. So that's something that needs to be refined, but I don't think it's something that needs to be thrown in the trash can. That that staff really did not wait long to unleash the lion against Ohio State. That was something that you well, they, you they heard you, they heard you calling for it last week. So yeah, yeah. Well, they were they were answering the bell there. But I think with Tommy Stevens, uh, you know, the end the end result there is uh, the three plays that that go through him. You lose twelve yards. Obviously, a big chunk on that play. My thing is, if you feel like Tommy Stevens can be a valuable asset to this offense, and he's a difference maker. And you want to go for that early? Okay. But what happened? It didn't work, so you just said, okay, Tommy, go sit in the corner. Uh, you know, it, it, this offense could have used a spark for certain stretches of this game. I'm thinking about the third quarter in particular. We don't see any more plays involving Tommy Stevens. So my, my thing is, you know, was it something that they had designed for just the one specific stretch of the game early in the game? Uh, is it something that just said, you know, it didn't work that time. We're putting it away. Uh, my thing is, though, if you think he's that valuable, you create a position for him. KJ Hamler goes down. Is there not room for him on the football field? That's a good question. I mean, I, I like I said, I think it was just it was a very limited package. I mean, he he hasn't played. He showed a little bit of that rust, and um, you know, I think it will work against teams probably not as fast and not as athletic as Ohio State. But yeah, I think it was set up to be a cut. You know, just a couple of plays, and that's what they got out of it. But yeah, it's a great uh, a great question regarding Hamler because you know you're you're searching for playmakers right now. As as much as you hate to say that about uh, you know, Juwan Johnson, DeAndre Tompkins, Brandon Polk, the older guys, you're still searching for somebody to to take you to that next step and sort of close out the game. I mean, Penn State went to Mac Hippenhammer on a two point conversion. I mean, 
let's be honest here. I mean, Mac looks like he has a bright future. He had a couple drops the other night, but still, I mean, you, you, you're looking at a redshirt freshman who has barely played and maybe you're trying to outcoach them and catch them off guard uh, again. But that's uh, that, that turned out to be a big play. And granted, you know, it does, doesn't change the outcome or anything like that, but maybe you get into overtime if you, if you get a, a better play call there. But I mean, it's just, uh, there's a lot of questions there and, I don't think it's ready to. I don't think you're ready to abandon Stevens. I think he he can have a role, and I think you want him ready to to do whatever he can do because we've seen he's an athletic guy. He can do some things that uh, some other players on the roster can't. But you got to find a balance for that. And by the way, Sean, we talk about you know the lack of a playmaker there. Some of the experienced receivers are having struggles. Uh, KJ Hamler is sidelined. Miles Sanders can't get much going on the ground. I mentioned Tommy Stevens, but how about? Any of those three freshman wide receiver, Justin Shorter, who was the top recruit in the country coming in, uh, Jahan Dotson, who was the buzz of training camp, Daniel George, who we saw on that very field against Kent State go 95 yards. I know that was against a much different defense than he would have faced against Ohio State, but there are options. And, and James Franklin was asked about those young freshman wide receivers on the phone call Tuesday. And he didn't really change his approach. He said it's going to be week to week. At this point in the season, they still have the option to green light them and play them through the season. They also have the option to keep them under four games and redshirt them. And, and he, the way he phrased it uh, was uh, they will be determined, their availability will be determined uh, by injuries, by possible deficiencies, and by their progression. And I think right now, KJ Hamler, one, there's an injury. Deficiencies? Yeah, I see a few. Yeah, and, and I know you're a big fan of those three guys. I'm going to disagree with you on the freshman. I don't think that that's the time to get them in there to see what they can do. I think they, you know, by extension, did it with Hip and Hammer there, and and that was out of necessity with Hamler out as well. But I don't, I don't think it's those three guys that that, that really make the difference. Of course, Shorter's been banged up. Jahan Dotson, uh, you know, skinny guy. I'm not sure that he's ready to to step in from the practice field to the game field. Daniel George, you know. The, I don't want to call it a flash in the pan, but he was, he was wide open on a double move against the, the, the second team defense of Kent state. So, I mean, it's, um, it, I, I, I get where you're coming from. I just don't think those are the guys. I think you got to ride with your guys and whether that's Tommy or maybe, you know, trying a little bit more with Tom Tompkins is all but disappeared as a wide receiver. So, um, there's, there's, there's options there. I'm not sure that it's the freshmen, um, uh, that are, that are those guys right now. Well, Sean, let me go back to the mantra of great to elite. Um, you know, you you recruit at a high level. At some point, you got to trust that you know, as you're recruiting better and better, you know, how can you lean on that depth? You know, I, I look, look. This is going to be a, a prime example, and it's going to be the probably most drastic example I can give you. Alabama second half national championship game. They turn to Tua, they get a win. That's the guy. They, they push that button. They say, let's give it a shot. We've seen what this kid can do. Now we don't know what these guys are doing in practice. But I also also mentioned Devontae Smith, the kid who caught that game winner in overtime against Georgia. He had 14 catches in the entire season for Alabama. That's about one per game. He goes out and catches the biggest catch of their entire season. So I get it. But at some point, when are you going to trust in the development of the guys that you you put a lot of eggs in the basket for a great recruiting class? And again, this is this is kind of talking out of turn for me because we don't get that evaluation in practice. We don't know what they're doing uh, in the film room. But at some point, you got to pop them in and play them and see what happens. But I do respect what you're saying, obviously, about the second half of a game against Ohio State under that kind of pressure might not be the right circumstance. But it certainly looked like they could have used an infusion of elite talent to be that elite team. I agree with you about the infusion of talent. Uh, if Justin Shorter doesn't get hurt in August, I don't think we're having this conversation because I think he's out there a lot. And I still think he's feeling the, the, the effects of that injury. And, and obviously, you know, you've seen them. I've seen the, the drop off from Justin Shorter to Jahan Dotson and Daniel George. While those guys are quality prospects and I think going to be solid players is is noticeable. So um, I, I, I get what you're saying. I don't necessarily agree with it, but, uh, and that's okay. And I, that's great. That's why we're here. That's why we're going, we're trying to go from being a great podcast to an elite podcast. We're making each other uncomfortable. We're doing what we got to do. I was going to save that for the end, but it was just perfect right now. Anyway, we're 43 minutes in. We haven't talked recruiting a bit. Um, That was not a loss for Penn State this weekend. A ton of guys on hand, over 150 recruits on hand. Uh, Just if you've been following along at Lions 24-7 or following along pretty much anywhere um, that that we do our business, um, it was was a special atmosphere. Um, uh, Nearly 111,000 on hand. Loud atmosphere, kept it up 
going through the game. And I think that's the biggest thing. You're, you're going to wonder if this impacts recruiting the loss or anything. No, it really doesn't. We had Brian Doan on last week saying, hey, even if they lose, it's all about the atmosphere. It's all about sustaining the atmosphere. And this is a game that came down to basically the, the next to last drive. So you sustain that atmosphere. It was loud. Uh, it was really loud at halftime, but it was loud. And it was uh, a great atmosphere for Penn State to, to sort of uh, show the best that they have to show. Yeah, and in recruiting, uh, when you're on campus and visiting, all losses are not created equal. If you're at a, a, at a stadium and the team is getting pummeled uh, and they're down by five touchdowns do you, in the do you third have quarter, some experience with that? Yeah. Or well, oh, <laughs> oh man, yeah, I guess I do. Maybe I, this isn't yeah, this is an internal conversation I'm saying out loud. I've lived this, but uh, it is difficult, and I, you know, it, it's difficult to to you know shake that from your memory about what you experienced. In this case, this is exactly the kind of game that these players are going to want to be involved in throughout their college career. They know that not only are there 111,000 people surrounding them watching this game, there are millions of people at home. There are a bunch of NFL scouts watching this game in Beaver Stadium. And and, and obviously, this is the showcase you want to be involved in. And, and a lot of these players, and I, you know, this is, again, where the go from great to elite thing, that statement in front of the recruits, what, you know, if you're recruiting and you're a safety or you're recruiting or defensive tackle, where are you looking on the field and saying, I think I could have done a little bit better. And if I did a little bit better, we could be a national championship team here. And it's not just pie in the sky because Penn State would be five and zero, probably in the top five right now. They win that game. So I think it does have a, a really positive impact. Yeah, and you don't want to oversimplify things and say, hey, the, James Franklin went up to these guys afterward and say, hey, you're, you're the difference between us being, you know, winning that game and, and, and what we said tonight. Um, but no, it's, it's certainly, it, it's something that these guys, whether they're 2019, 2020, they're 2021, 2022 even, this is something they're going to remember for the duration of their recruitment. And when they're looking to tip the scales some way, I mean, Brian Bresey was at uh, Ohio State last weekend when Penn State, or excuse me, when Ohio State hosted Tulane. He was at Penn State this weekend when Penn State hosted Ohio State. I mean, those visits are not created equal, just like those losses you talked about. So this is something that they can ride with for for a long, long time. I mean, you're talking quality across the board, 12 five-stars, 10 official visitors, uh, six of the top 25 players in 2020. I mean, it's certainly a much bigger win and I know everybody's uh, you know in the dumps about the loss but it's it, it's a win long term for the program yeah and I mean everything again with that th- these recruits uh, are, are kind of processing from the experience I think you know they're not really going to be concerned about Penn State's final win loss record obviously if things go off the rails but they're more concerned about what they can do when they get to campus and, and so the 2018 result isn't necessarily on them on their minds I think they're focused on 2019, 2020, and you better believe when these guys, especially the elite of the elite, you know, whether you're talking about Julian Fleming, Zach Harrison, the list goes on and on in this circumstance, they're watching their position and they're taking mental reps. I've talked to countless prospects over the past few years who have made these visits, and the competition of them has already started. If they're going to be freshmen on campus and they're going to play a particular position, they are watching that position and saying, you know what, what do I need to work on to beat this guy out for that job next year? And I think to have this kind of talent on campus, uh, watching this kind of game where Penn State in a lot of ways played at a very high level against a team that is considered the elite, uh, I think you know, how can you not come away and feel like this is a school where I could go and thrive and potentially compete to win a championship. Yeah, and it's and it's setting yourself up for for next year's whiteout. Of course, the atmosphere. You know, everybody that's that's listening knows about the whiteout. But you're talking about you know guys like uh, Cardell Thomas, Tyreon Jones, the LSU commit. They're they're not going to Penn State. I mean, come on, let's be honest here. They're you know they're they're committed down south. They're probably going to stay that way. Of course, LSU having a fantastic year, and you know Ed Orgeron's going to keep his job, and and that is going to go a long way. But just getting in front of those guys, making it a destination. I mean, I'm sure there's already 2020 guys thinking about, you know, hey, the, the, we're going to take this official visit to Penn State next year just because I want to see the whiteout, just because I want to see this thing in, in person. And you build that relationship until it gets there. Um, you got guys uh, like Derek Wingo, linebacker from Florida. I mean, he's blown away by the uh, by the atmosphere. He's a long way away from Penn State, but you know you've got Jay Wansider, you've got a national audience, you've got the you, you're going to play on TV every week. So these are all things that sort of add up to 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 capitalize on the visit and capitalize on what Penn State is offering them. Yeah, and and I think it's funny. I mean, you talk about some of these guys who look. 
they're not going to end up at Penn State. Uh, this is maybe their only time ever coming to Central Pennsylvania in their life. And I know there's a lot of people that grumble about this and post about it and say uh, they need to expose these kids. They shouldn't let them on campus. Look, it's part of the process. You have the official visits. Yep. You take a shot at trying to entertain these guys. Maybe you get a surprise win and you turn the tide of that recruitment. Maybe you don't. And from their perspective, how many of our listeners out there would have taken an all-inclusive travel package to this Penn State game for free? I think they would have jumped on that opportunity. Yeah, you know, a lot of people paid a, paid a lot of money <laughs> to go to this game to begin with. Uh, you throw that package. And, and, and beyond that, you know, you've got the spectacle where you've got guys like John Mechie and Andre White committed elsewhere, committed to SEC programs, checking things out. You know, you say you just want to watch a game, but, you know, there's – there's some sort of element of what if creeping into your head when you see 111,000 people in white, you know, basically screaming the same thing. So really cool um, atmosphere, really uh, going to benefit Penn State in the long run. And, and it already has. Penn State got a commitment on Monday evening. Tight end Brenton Strange was one of those 10 official visitors um, yeah, out of West Virginia. He's a guy that we were watching going into the trip. It was Penn State, Ohio State for the most part. A couple of the schools were in there. Notre Dame had offered, Ole Miss had offered. So, um, but but Penn State Ohio State he was at Ohio State last weekend came in for the official visit and and, and ended up popping I mean it's a big pickup for Penn State in, in a class that they set out not knowing if they would take a tight end or not they got Brenton Strange in camp this summer looked really good at six five two ten caught the ball really well moved really well um, and he goes on to um, sort of bolster that tight end room where you took two last year you've got a bunch of different talents and a bunch of different guys that that do different things. Story up online 24-7 on, as of Tuesday morning about that very tight end room and uh, about how it is progressing. And, you know, look, the guys who have, who have grinded, grinded it out with this program for, for a few years now, Jonathan Holland, Nick Bowers, Danny Dalton, they deserve respect. You know, they're, they're clearly going to have some kind of role here. Uh, but it is very clear that, that in the next couple of years, you know, right now even, that the youth movement is underway. Pat Fryermuth has gone and, and taken himself this starting job, I think, in everybody's eyes. Uh, we'll see if the depth chart, you know, definitively uh, uh, reflects that next week. And, and then Zach Koontz also behind the scenes. We've seen it in practice a few times. He has made the kind of plays that that make you say, "Can't wait to see when he's a finished product." Because six foot seven, two thirty five. We're just talking about uh, you know all the you know that when you have the Madden NFL and you get to create a player, he's the tight end you end up with. And he's not there yet, but maybe three years from now he'll be somewhere close to that when he, when he gets bigger and he can handle his own more as a blocker. But those two are on campus; they're they're evolving. Coons, we fully anticipate, will be a redshirt freshman next year with four years of eligibility. You throw Bretton Strange into the mix; he's another dynamic downfield threat. Uh, I believe he's now at 150 receptions for his career. He's coming off Friday night, a nine-catch, 177-yard, two-touchdown game. That is a lot of potential in one room and guys that have an opportunity to grow together for a few years. And I know that they have an opportunity as well to bring back those three older veterans. They all have at least another year of eligibility, but they're going to be hard-pressed to hold off this youth movement. Yeah, the the tight end room has has drastically changed in the last year. Of course, Mike Gesicki was the guy, no doubt about it. Um, Last week of practice, I think there was a two-minute stretch where Fryermuth caught a touchdown from Sean Clifford in the corner of the end zone. Then you, you look down on the scout team field and Kuntz went up and made a grab over a couple of first team defensive guys on a, a really good throw from Will Levis. But yeah, the, the opportunity is there. Different talent levels, uh, or excuse me, different uh Different talents, I guess I would say. You've got a, a different, you know, different skill sets. Different sure. skill sets, yeah. yeah. And then Brenton Strange is going to be a, one of those guys that's a basically a wide receiver that has to learn how to play tight end. So I think he's a red shirt guy right now. He's going to put on some weight, I'm sure. Still about 210 pounds, so obviously he's a long way off from from playing. But yeah, you've got uh, you've got some promise. Tyler Bowen's got a lot to work with there. Yep, and uh, again, you, you can't say enough about Fryermuth. I got to go back to that practice. One handed catch from Sean Clifford. One-handed catch in the end zone and a huge moment to put Penn State ahead there in the second half from Trace McSorley. Commit watch. We talked about a couple of guys last week on the site. Um, we're, we're still, I think we're still watching the same guys with those official visitors. Um, you, David Bell was on campus. You, you know, If you're Penn State, you'd love to lock him up now. But at the same time, 
He's a guy that wants to announce at the uh, the, the All American Bowl in January, so his process is going to slow down. Noah Pola Gates was on, in town for an official visit. He's a guy that you know you're probably going head to head with Alabama right now, and uh, you know he wants to take an Alabama official visit. But a couple of guys that I look at, Adisa Isaac. I mean, he's, we feel that he's been on the verge for a long time. Jared Harrison Hunt, exactly the same. Uh, Aaron Young, uh, running back from Coatesville, popped up on campus. Of course, we had him added to the list late last week. This is a Penn State Rutgers thing, and yes, he he said some things about Penn State when he offered. He was not happy about uh, you know waiting around for that Penn State offer, but at the same time, I mean, this is one of those things where it's going to wear on you when you're watching Rutgers looking, no offense, as bad as they've looked, and you see Penn State and you go into an atmosphere with this many people – it's going to start some some wheels thinking in your head. So I would not be shocked if if any of those threes get three guys would uh, you know sort of make their way into the class and, and and maybe soon. I'm particularly kind of focusing in on that defensive line group you mentioned: Adiza Isaac, uh, Harrison Hunt. When you know at what point is Penn State really got to you know facilitate some things here? Because if those guys wait too long and neither of them end up in this class. Uh, then, then you got to kind of scramble a little bit and, and resort to some other options. And I know they've got those other options. And they continue to maintain that communication. I'll be curious, though. But as you said, it feels like you know it could be any time. Adiza Isaac, we I think you know he was almost on commitment watch since last bash. It feels like so. Um, you know, it, it's been a while with him. And I will say, David Bell. Can I talk about David Bell for a second? You know what? You got the floor for David Bell. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. This kid on Friday night before he shows up to campus. 12 catches for 284 yards and four touchdowns. Uh, he threw a touchdown as well. And just some more stats I'm going to throw you away, Sean. Uh, second time this season he's gone over 200 receiving yards. Uh, he has 47 catches through the first seven games. He is six yards shy of his third straight 1,000-yard receiving season. He's averaging more than 21 yards per catch. He's got 14 touchdowns in these, two, in these seven games. And for his career now, He's over 200 catches. He's almost to 50 uh, touchdown receptions, and he is just a few yards shy of 4,000 receiving yards. What does it mean? It means Penn State really wants this kid. Yeah, if you're looking at Penn State's offensive targets and you don't have David Bell on top, I, I, I don't know what to tell you. They, they hosted Jalen Curry, who's, who's been a phenomenally productive wide receiver from Texas this weekend. But you look at the board, even with John Mechie, even with Jalen Curry, I mean, David Bell, i got to think he's the guy that you want to center on. Man, I, and David Bell, John Dunmore, Emory Simmons, to tap them on to this group that they already have of young wide receivers, I, I can't I can't begin to describe the kind of competition that practice field uh, would entail and the kind of talent that could get buried on the depth chart if they're not ready to step up and face that competition. And beyond that, 2020, Julian Fleming uh, back on campus again. I mean, he's gone to as many games as we have so um it's been uh it's been one of those things i think you know you hate to call it a matter of time especially with a five-star kid that's gonna want to see other schools gonna want to see georgia gonna want to see usc alabama right there as well but at the same time i mean you gotta think three games in three weeks possibly four games in four weeks next week i mean it's just it's one of those things where you're just kind of saying hey Let's 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 see what you got here, man. Because he was hanging out with the Penn State commits. A lot of the guys that I've talked to since have, have mentioned how excited he was to be there. And you'd like to see this 2020 class rolling. And if you could do it with the number three player in the country for 24/7 Sports, that'd be a good way to start it. But um, you know, I, I think Penn State. While they're, they're maybe not ready to get rolling as a class in 2020, can can sort of uh, benefit from this game. Guys like Aaron Parks, because uh, I is our Michael Carmody, uh, we talked a lot about on the podcast. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that are going Penn State's way. And with a year that's as talented, especially in the, the DMV area, as we've seen in the 2020 class, excellent opportunity for Penn State. Yeah, and going back to Julian Fleming, um, had a chance to go to Keith Nellis's game at State College Friday night. Another impressive performance for him there. James Franklin was on the sidelines. Afterward, you know, I said, who do you want to be the guy? Who do you want to be the Keith Nellis of the 2020 class? Because remember, Ellis started off that 2019 class last September. Right away, says, Julian Fleming's my guy. We played AAU basketball together growing up. He's been the most ridiculous athlete in the room since then, and he's the guy I want to take on that. And you're right. You see Julian Fleming, his comfort level, his family's comfort level with the staff, with the other commits, with the players who are currently on the team. You know there's a lot of Penn State fans around him in his hometown. And I hate when people equate recruiting to dating, but I'm going to do it. It's like you got that one buddy who's been dating a girl for three years, 
maybe since college and you're like, you know, dude, when are you going to make, you know, when are you guys just going to finalize the deal and, and put a ring on it and make this thing official and, and make it a long-term commitment? It feels like that we're heading in that direction. A lot could change, if, especially if he takes it to his official visits next spring. But I'm with you. It just feels like there is a lot of rapport being built up, and it's hard for me to see him turning his back on it at this particular moment. So much pulling uh, for Penn State right now. I mean, there's just so much going on with with Julian Fleming and Penn State that that you have to say it. it it's it looks better than probably anybody else in that 2020 class. Um, but I, I'll leave it at this. With the recruiting, I've got one more point to make, and it's just to make everyone feel old. Penn State hosted Marvin Harrison Jr. and Peter Warwick Jr. on Saturday night. I mean, if that if that doesn't do it for you, I mean, I, I don't know what would. Pretty sure we're, we're going to be talking about your sons on the sideline uh, at this rate. It's going fast. It's going real fast. And Marvin Harrison Jr., uh, very highly rated out of Philadelphia now uh, in the new 24-7 sports rankings. And Peter Warwick Jr., that was a cool one here. I did not catch that before the game. You let us know. I think it was Sunday morning. And it got me flashbacks of Peter Warwick was a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, and I don't, and I don't know that either guy is is on the level that their father is. Obviously, we've we've had the benefit of seeing them in college and in the pros, but that's just it's crazy to think about when you've got guys coming through. I think Peter Warwick, uh, you know, late nineties, if late not, 90s, yeah, yeah, I think late nineties with Florida State. I mean, it's just it's crazy to think about. Anyway, we are wrapping up. We're going on an hour here, and uh, it's the bye week. So, like I said, we're not going to be able to, to to have another episode this week. Tyler's got some travel plans. I've got some travel plans. So, wrapping it up on the Lions 24-7 podcast. This is our fourth and five. We're going to sign off right now. I'm Sean Fitz. He's Tyler Donahue. Of course, join us on iTunes. Rate us on iTunes. Uh, don't hold that last comment against me on iTunes. Um, and, and check us out on Spotify. We'll be back next week to talk a little bit about Michigan State, talk a little bit more recruiting. Thanks for joining us on the Lions 24-7 podcast. My night runs into morning.